Now, a healthy church uh, is a praying church. Uh, that was the message of the sermon uh, last Lord's Day. Uh, Jesus wants uh, his church to pray. And uh, that was the pattern established uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, the church at Thessalonica was told to pray without ceasing. And we need to live in a constant state of prayer. Uh, as individual Christians and as a church, prayer is commanded. It's not an optional extra. It's not just for the super elites. And prayerlessness is sin. First Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. You know, do you see a, a lack of prayer as sin against the Lord? And I trust last week's sermon got you thinking about prayer. I know it provoked a lot of thoughts uh, in my mind. And in my life, it necessitated uh, some repentance. Uh, I needed to make uh, some changes. And this has been really good for me. And I actually felt uh, strongly led by the Lord uh, to speak on prayer again this morning. So a healthy church is a praying church. That's our thesis. And uh, this has three elements. Uh, number one, there's praying with one another. Okay, that's corporate prayer, which was the primary emphasis last week. The prayer meeting is vital. And then secondly, there's praying for one another. We as individuals need to be praying for our church. Okay, so this is your individual responsibility and mine. Okay, since this is your church, you need to pray for it. And then number three, there's also our individual prayer lives. Okay, our general prayer life will impact the health of the church. Okay, in what way? Because if we aren't praying, we won't be healthy and growing as Christians, which will then impact the church. Okay, so I want us to understand this point. When you and when I fail to pray in these ways, okay, it has all kinds of negative impacts on us personally, but it also impacts the church as a whole. It impacts everyone. Okay, I want us to feel that weight. It affects the whole church. And hence, we desperately need to pray. So with that refresher in mind, I want us to think about another vital element of prayer. Okay, in a healthy church, we will be praying together. We'll be praying for the church as individuals. That, that's the logical starting line. Okay, we, we need to start the prayer race but we also need to ensure that the Lord is hearing our prayers. Okay, we need to ensure that all hindrances are eradicated. Have you ever had a blocked pipe and it stopped the flow completely and, and it backed up and it made a huge mess? Uh, th this can happen uh, with our praying. Okay, picture a pipe between our church and the Lord. It's possible for that pipe to become blocked and our prayers are hindered and hence we need to ensure not only that we're praying but that our prayers are heard by the Lord and this is going to be the focus of the sermon and with all of that in mind I'd like to pray and and ask for God's help so let's pray uh, Father God we come before you uh, desperately needing uh, your help uh, please remove all distractions remove all hindrances Help us to understand uh, what your word says about uh, these prayer hindrances. Uh, please impress on us the necessity, privilege, and power of prayer. And help us as a church to appropriate that which your word has to teach us. We ask uh, these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know how frustrating it is when we're talking to somebody, uh, but they're not listening. 
And as I wrote that first phrase, I had this picture in my mind of wives nudging husbands, uh, because that's often the stereotype. Uh, we men, we get accused of not listening. Um, my mom always accuses my dad of selective deafness. And, and to be fair, that's, that's probably true. But I do want to defend my fellow brothers because this is not exclusive to one gender. But it is frustrating when we speak and we're not listened to. Okay, if you're a parent, especially if you have younger children, it feels like you're never listened to. Uh, I wish I had a dollar for every time in my home I say, I just said that. Weren't you listening? I think I would have got $20 just yesterday. You know, maybe there's someone at your work and it feels like their favorite hobby is not listening. You, you tell them something and then they don't do it or they do the complete opposites. Or perhaps you have a friend who clearly doesn't listen. It's evident in their body language. You know, I'm sure we can all resonate with this when people don't listen. And that makes communication quite ineffective. And with that in mind, we want to make sure that God is listening to our prayers. Yes, we need to pray, but we also need to ensure that our prayers are not just a return to sender, bounce off the ceiling. We, we want to ensure that nothing is hindering our prayers. And thankfully, we don't need to guess about what hinders our effectiveness when praying because the Bible reveals it to us. And there are numerous hindrances that will result in unanswered prayer. Now, when we think about unanswered prayer, it's important to identify two different types. And not all unanswered prayers are a bad thing. They're not all caused by some failure on our part. So, so there's one category that I've called positive unanswered prayers. Okay, the Lord hears these prayers but chooses either to not answer them or at least not immediately answer them. And these unanswered prayers have nothing to do with our sinful acts or attitudes. Okay, the Lord has something better in store. Or, or the Lord wants us to wait. The timing is not yet right. Or, or he knows that what we think is a good thing for us or a good thing for our church, that, that's not actually the case. Or this could be about testing our faith or seeking to bring about something good in our life, seeking to change something, help us to grow. Remembering the Lord is far more concerned about our holiness than anything else. And often as individuals and as a church, we can learn much through these times when the Lord doesn't answer. But, but these types of situations are not negative, although we often think they are nor are they caused by sinful attitudes or actions. And in these particular cases, we need to trust the Lord and have faith that he knows best. But then there's this second category, which I've called negative unanswered prayers. The Lord just ignores certain prayers. And this is all to do with sinful acts and attitudes. And that should cause alarm bells in our minds. Okay, that there are some prayers that are like the spam emails we receive. We don't even open them. We just delete them. There are some prayers that are like that with God. Okay, to describe it in human terms, although this is inadequate with God, there are some prayers that he chooses not to hear. 
Okay, that there are some things that hinder our prayers being answered. And the Bible identifies a number of reasons why the Lord will not hear or respond. And it is this that I want to focus on in the remainder of our sermon. If we're to be a healthy church, it's, it's imperative that we're praying and that the Lord hears and answers our prayers. Okay, it's detrimental if the Lord is ignoring our prayers. And hence, we need these prayer hindrances to be demolished. Okay, there are four hindrances to prayer that I want us to consider that we as a church and as individuals must guard against. But before we consider these four hindrances, I, I want to give a caution. Okay, we all have legalistic tendencies lurking in our hearts. And I want to be clear that prayer is a gracious gift from God. Okay, I, I want us to understand we don't earn God's ear. We don't do a certain number of good deeds to gain access to God. We come in Jesus' name and we can pray because of him alone. And it's so vital for us to have that squared away. But it's possible for us to hinder prayer. Similar to how our sin hinders our fellowship with God. Okay, That's the topic of 1 John chapter 1. But nothing we do earns the right to pray. Nor do we twist God's arm to make him answer our prayers. We don't bring all of this evidence of our good deeds and we use them as leverage to ensure that God must answer us. It's not like, God, look at all this good stuff that I've done. That means you must answer my prayer. That's not the idea. Okay, that's the disease of legalism that lurks in the shadows of our heart. And with that gospel truth in mind, prayer and answers to prayer are all of grace. Let's consider four hindrances to our prayer life as a church and as individuals that desperately need to be eradicated. First hindrance is cherished sin. If you could open your Bible, please, to Psalm 66. And verse 18 is the verse. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I trust that final phrase really grabs your attention. It's an alarming statement. The Lord will not hear me. God intentionally chooses to ignore some prayers. Instead of responding to the email, it's moved to the trash. Some prayers hit the ceiling and bounce straight back down. It's like the phone line's been disconnected. This ought to concern us. We should be anxious about the possibility of our Lord not hearing us. And if right now we're, we're, we're blasé and we're unmoved by this possibility, that's quite revealing as to where we're at spiritually. But the question is, why would the Lord decide to intentionally not hear our prayers? Okay, what would provoke such a decision from him? Okay, well, this is the cause. When we regard iniquity in our hearts, when we knowingly cherish sin, when we plan for it, when we refuse to deal with it, but rather make provision for it, Okay, when we know it's there and yet we do nothing about it because truth be told, we like it. 
and we douse the fire of the convicting work of the spirit. We dismiss the guilt of our conscience and we continue in sin. We pursue the flesh rather than the spirit. We cleave to the world rather than to the Lord. We're in sin. We know it, but we enjoy it so we don't forsake it. It's like our little pet and we never get serious about dealing with it. This is what this verse addresses. And when there's cherished and unconfessed sin in our lives, one of the consequences is that the Lord will not answer our prayers. And I want you to notice that in Psalm 66, in verses 13, 14, and 15, sacrifices were presented. That there was praise time. But, but even in all of this religious activity, all of this outward devotion it meant nothing to the Lord. The prayers would still not be heard if sin was left unconfessed. Get okay? All of this religious activity didn't open the ears of God if sin was regarded in the heart. Now we need to understand that this does not demand perfection in order to gain the Lord's ear. Okay? We can't attain perfection. But this is about loving sin. This is refusing to confess it, re refusing to forsake it. It's making provision for it. It's choosing the sin rather than the Lord. That's the issue. And here's the, the dreadful irony. As we choose to pursue sin, which results in a closing down of the communication lines with God, we're actually making ourselves even more vulnerable to the allure of further sin. Because Jesus teaches in Mark 14:38 that lack of diligence in prayer, it leaves us in a vulnerable position, making us easy prey for temptation. Okay, prayer is vital for overcoming sin. And yet when the Lord doesn't hear it, we're placing ourselves in a very precarious position. We can very easily plunge ourselves into even deeper depths of the gluggy and putrid sinking sand of sin. So this is the issue. But why does the Lord do this? Why does sin result in the Lord not hearing our prayers? Well, he does this in order to bring us back to himself. This is actually grace. It's a part of God's discipline. Because imagine if you and I, we were engrossed in sin, we're, we're pursuing all kinds of wickedness, and yet it seems that the Lord is answering all of our prayers. We think, hey, I'm doing all of this, but God is still answering my prayers. It feels like his stamp of approval. He doesn't do that because he doesn't want his children living in sin. He doesn't want us cherishing sin, and hence he graciously shuts his ear as a consequence. And this consequence is designed to lead us to repentance and with all of that in mind we need to understand that it's possible for the lord to not hear your prayers and to not hear the prayers of our church because of cherished sin in our lives whether it be individual sins or whether it be corporate sin so is there some sin in your life and you know about it but you refuse to make it right. You refuse to forsake it. And in fact, uh, you, you often feed it. Maybe it's pornography. So many are ensnared in it. 
And I would suggest this is the leading cause of the lack of power in the modern church. The Lord is not hearing our prayers because of this. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship that you refuse to sever. Maybe there's some idol in your life. There's something that you cherish more than Jesus. And remember, it doesn't have to be a little wooden statue. Okay? It's anything that takes the place of God. Or there's blatant hypocrisy. To put it simply, you're just a walking contradiction. Maybe it's gossip. Okay? You, you love to share the juicy tale. Or it's lying, it's anger, it's bitterness, or it's some other secret treasured sin. Understand this hinders your praying. That this hinders your praying individually, it, it hinders us corporately. You need to deal with the sin in order to open the prayer line to God. Because there's a prayer that he will hear, and that's humble repentance, confessing your sin. Okay, and that's true for everyone. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Understand, you don't have direct access to God. Okay, you can only have access to him. You can only pray anywhere at any time through Jesus Christ. And, and you don't have that. In order to have that, you need to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin, believing he's God and that he died on the cross for your sin. Rose again on the third day and that he is the only way to provide salvation. Maybe that's where you're at. I implore you, come to Christ today. But for those of us who are Christians, okay, we, we need to confess our sin. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is goading your conscience. Maybe there's a secret sin in your life that no one else knows about. A cherished sin. Bring it to the light. Come out of darkness. Confess it to the Lord and he will forgive you. That's the promise. And then I would encourage you to tell someone else about it so they can help you stay out of it. And this will blast away the putrid goop that has blocked the prayer line between you and the Lord. Okay, this is the first hindrance. And the following three really come out of it. They are specific examples that the Bible mentions. And the second hindrance I want to consider is our attitude toward the scriptures. If you could turn please to Proverbs chapter 28. The second hindrance is our attitude toward the scriptures. Proverbs 28 and verse 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. This verse again concludes with a shocking statement. One's prayers will be regarded as an abomination. That's a very strong term. That's a term used elsewhere to speak of some hideous sin. It means disgusting. It means detestable. And again, this language should cause you and I to pay attention. What would cause our praying to be detestable in the sight of the Lord? Well, this is true for the one who turns away their ear from hearing the Lord. This is speaking about our attitude and our appropriation of the scriptures. And this is not surprising because there's an inseparable link between the word of God and communing with God. The Bible is God speaking to us and prayer is us speaking to God. And hence how we react, respond and regard 
God speaking to us has an immense impact on the effectiveness of us speaking to God. Okay, to put it differently, if we neglect God speaking to us, then God will neglect our speaking to him. So when we fail to hear the word, and this term here means to listen and to obey. Okay, we understand there's a big difference between hearing and listening. So this is calling us to be in the word, to listen to the word and to obey the words. We are to hear and do the words. We must humbly and attentively listen to the word of God, which means we must be in the word of God. Okay, we need daily devotions. We need to sit under the preached word and we need to respond to it, submit to it and obey it. And if we do not regard the word highly, and this will be evidenced by spending time in it. You can't say, I hold the scriptures highly, and yet you never spend any time in it. That's a contradiction. And if we don't respond to it, that speaks of submissive obedience. Okay, if this is the constant pattern in our life, then our prayers will be an abomination to the Lord. They will be detestable. He will have no interest in them. So we could say there's like a reciprocal transaction. If we're deaf to God speaking, then God will be deaf to our speaking. And when we think about this, okay, when we apply our biblical theology, okay, what the Bible says about prayer, this makes perfect sense. Because how can we pray in accordance to God's will, which is how we are to pray? You remember the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How can we pray in harmony with God's will if we reject God's revealed will, which is the scriptures? How can we pray with the correct motives if we ignore the scriptures? And both are essential. We need to ask for the right things and for the right reasons. So, my friend, if we want the Lord's ear, if we don't want our prayers to be hindered both for us as individuals and for us as a church, we need to value the scriptures. It's imperative that we're spending time in the Bible okay, and spending quality time. Okay, I know we're very busy, but we need to be careful that okay, devotions don't just become some five minute tick the box type thing. Because imagine if someone only gave you five minutes, but they wanted a close and intimate relationship. It doesn't work. Quality time, reading and studying the word, meditating on it and then responding to it in obedience, that's required. And as a church corporately, we need to esteem the preached words. This must be valued and prioritized. And we must not just be present. Sure, that's where it starts. I'm glad you're here. But we need to listen. We need to be alert. We need to be engaged. We need to tune in and we need to respond to the preached word. Submit to it. That's what James calls us to do. Don't just listen to the word, but do the words. Okay, we cannot live without the word of God and expect to have powerful prayer lives. And I wonder if our prayer lives as individuals and as a church are drastically hindered because we're rejecting the word. We're either spending so little to no time in it or we're refusing to obey it. We cannot refuse to hear preaching or read the Bible and yet expect God to help us through prayer. 
because when we refuse and reject the word of God, he won't respond to our words to him. We're told that our prayers will be abominable in his sight. This is the second hindrance. The third hindrance is marital neglect. If you're a husband, or if you could one day potentially be a husband, how you treat your wife impacts the effectiveness of your individual prayer life and the effectiveness of the prayer ministry of our church. Are you aware of that reality? How you treat your wife has massive spiritual ramifications. First Peter chapter 3, please. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Says likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Okay, Peter has just given instructions to the wife in the first six verses, and now the focus shifts to the husband. And what we need to understand is that the Bible's teaching on marriage was revolutionary. In the culture of the time when this was written, a husband had absolute rights over his wife, and the wife had virtually no rights in the marriage. She was effectively a second-class citizen. And all the duties and obligations in marriage were put on the wife. In the Roman world, if a man caught his wife in adultery, he could kill her on the spot. But if a wife caught a husband doing the same thing, she could do nothing against him. Okay, so this is the time in which this was written. And hence the Bible, the gospel, was radical. The Bible is very pro-women, despite what people think today. Okay, the Bible says that the wife is equal. And she's to be loved. She's to be cherished. That was revolutionary. And here in Peter's radical teaching, we see the husband has God-ordained duties and obligations toward his wife. And this was completely unheard of in the culture to which this was written. We see the husbands to do two things. Dwell with her according to knowledge and give honor unto her. Now, when the husband is told to dwell with her according to knowledge, this could be any knowledge that would be helpful for the, for the marriage relationship. Okay, this would include God's purposes and principles for marriage. But I think primarily it's talking about knowing your wife. It's about learning all about her. It's knowing her desires, her goals, her frustrations. Knowledge of her strength and weaknesses in the physical, emotional and spiritual realms. It's knowing her intimately. And this requires effort and energy. It doesn't just naturally or magically happen. And understand it never ceases. Okay, this is not just something you do for the first five or, or ten years of marriage. Because your wife is always changing. As are you. And her needs change. Her desires, her wants, her goals, her frustrations, they all change. And hence there's a constant need to continue pursuing knowledge of your wife. And this is not some dreaded task. It's not like, oh man, do I really have to do this? But, but this should be something delightful. 
Okay, and husbands, understand for you to possess this, it demands both quantity of time and quality of time. Okay, you're enrolled in a course, it's called the Bachelor of Wifey, and you won't graduate until heaven. Okay, but it's not only knowing her, but it's also applying this knowledge. Maybe that's where it gets difficult for some of us, it's living it out. The knowledge that you possess is to inform and impact your lives together. Okay, you know her frustrations, so don't do it. Here's an illustration. You know it drives her nuts when you leave the toilet seat up, so don't do it. Okay, that's living out the knowledge. You know her weaknesses, so help her in those areas. You know her greatest needs, so, so do your best to meet them. Don't ignore them. Now, this doesn't mean that she always gets everything that she wants, no matter what. Sorry, wives. <laughs> you know, even when it's completely unreasonable. But you cannot be ignorant or ignore your wife's spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical condition and needs. Okay, that, that's the first thing. But it doesn't stop there. The verse also tells husbands to give honor unto the wife. This speaks of valuing her treasuring her revering her the word honor is actually translated precious elsewhere in this epistle so husbands your wife is precious she's valuable and you should treat her accordingly and yet it's sad that so many men treat their car their boat their dog their kids their mates far better than their wife okay but the bible is clear you're to honor and treasure her not mistreat her, not be critical and cruel, not be unreasonable, don't neglect her, don't be constantly negative and critiquing, and don't just be not and, and don't just be nice when you want something. Treat her like she is the most precious and valuable possession that you will ever have because she is. Okay, and this honor is essential because we're told here that she's the weaker vessel. Now, this terminology is certainly not popular in the times that we live, but we need to understand that this doesn't indicate that women are inferior or less value, sorry, less valuable. Nor does it mean that women are weaker spiritually, intellectually, or morally, but rather this seems to be speaking of physical strength. Men are usually stronger. And the implication of this is that men should never use their physical prowess to dominate. Understand, abuse is always sin. It's always despicable. There are no exceptions. Okay? A man must not use his physical prowess to dominate, but rather he must use it to protect his wife in every single way. And the husband should also honor his wife because she is an heir of the grace of life. In other words, she is your sister in Christ and she's the child of God. Understand that your wife is the child of God and as her father, he demands that you take care of his daughter. You know, a lot of the guys here, before you get married, you've got to go and ask for the hand. You've got to talk to the dad. When I had to do that, I was petrified and I think most of us are. But imagine what it's like. Your wife, she's a Christian. She is God's child. He's not going to be thrilled if you, uh, if you mistreat his daughter, just like an earthly father. Keep that in mind. 
Okay, and this reminds us that your wife, she's your spiritual equal. She's of equal eternal importance. It's not that men are this important in God's sight and, and women are down here. Not, not at all. She's not a second-class citizen. Okay, this is the ministry of husbands to wives. And I want you to notice the consequence if husbands fail. We're told that their prayers will be hindered. Please let that sink in. How you treat your wife is a determining factor as to whether your prayers will be answered. God will reject the prayers of the husband who mistreats and dishonors his wife. Okay, you can't neglect your marriage and not be impacted spiritually. Okay, that they're not separate things. Okay, they're together. How you treat your wife has a direct impact on the effectiveness of your prayer life. And I want husbands to understand two things as we bring this hindrance to a close. Number one, I wonder how often the church's prayer life lacks power and effectiveness because the men of the church are not treating their wives well. It doesn't only affect your personal, your personal praying, it will also affect corporate praying. If there are a heap of husbands in the church neglecting their marriages, that is going to hinder the church dramatically. The health of marriages has a direct impact on the health of the church. And number two, we'll finish on a positive for we husbands. You know, since we husbands still wrestle daily with our own serve me first depravity, I struggle with that. I want to put myself first. It's because I love myself. This particular challenge cannot be met without the empowering grace of God. But God will give it to us. And may God help us to treat our wives well, because if we don't, our prayers and the prayers of the church will be hindered. But the fourth and final hindrance is unresolved conflict and offenses. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, please. And this will be our final text. Matthew chapter 5. And verses 23 and 24. The word of God says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, a lot of Jesus' teaching must have been completely shocking to those who heard it. And these verses are no exception. Okay, Jesus teaches the importance of resolving conflict and offenses. It is a reality living in a fallen and sin-cursed world amongst fellow sinners. There will be offense. There will be conflict. We will cause offense and we will be offended. Okay, this is an unfortunate reality, but it's imperative that we learn to resolve conflict an offense. This is the topic that Jesus is discussing. Okay, what he does here, he speaks of a situation, okay, a hypothetical situation that the audience could readily identify with. Okay, he, he speaks of one that had come to the temple to offer a sacrifice. He would made his way through the outer courts. He has his sacrificial animal. He arrives at the altar. He's ready to worship the Lord. And then at that moment, just before the knife falls, he remembers, hey, that there was that personal conflict, that, that there was an issue that hasn't been resolved, what should he do? 
Well, Jesus says he should leave the sacrifice and go and deal with the offense. That must have been very unexpected to the audience who heard this. Jesus teaches it's more important to seek reconciliation at that point than it was to worship. And it was imperative for this to be dealt with as quickly as possible. Okay, that's a very brief summary. An awful lot could be said about this, and I'm not going to say a lot. But for our purposes, I know that prayer is not mentioned here explicitly, but prayer is a part of worship, so it's not a stretch. And the application is this, unresolved conflict and offenses hinders our worship, which includes our prayer lives, both personally and corporately. So please understand that personal issues, personal conflict in the church, it's not trivial and it needs to be resolved. And when we refuse to do so, okay, we're having a negative impact on the effectiveness of the church's prayer life, along with lots of other things. Okay, so, so please let that sink in. It impacts everyone and hence we need to deal with these offenses and conflicts swiftly as soon as they happen if possible we can't let them drag on and on and on and bring them up years later because that makes it so hard to deal with and it means that our prayer lives have potentially been hindered for a long period of time okay we need to do all that we can to resolve these issues and sure i understand that's often easier said than done i understand the difficulties but we need to do all that is within our power to make it right and to live peaceably with all men romans 12:18 don't delay resolution pursue it relentlessly remembering the gospel what's the gospel all about the gospel is about reconciliation and hence we need to live that out you know and when there's personal conflict and offenses that that are undealt with and they they just fester away and often it's for a long period of time this will hinder your prayer life and it will hinder our church it affects everyone it impacts god's work right here this is the fourth hindrance so my friend as a church we need to be praying that's where it all starts because obviously it's a pretty massive hindrance to prayer if we don't pray. Yeah, you, you need to be involved in the church's prayer meetings if possible, whether on site or online, or if you can't make it because of distance, children or work, I, I get that. See if you can arrange another time to pray with others. And we also need to be praying for our church as individuals. This is your church. And hence I encourage you pray for it daily. Okay, well, I don't know what to pray. Well, I've got an answer to that. We have a weekly prayer sheet. I email it to you. Please print it off and pray through it. Okay, prayer for one another is one of the clearest evidences of love for one another. Okay, you know, if we say we love each other, but we never pray for each other, that, that's an untrue statement. We need to be praying. And my friend, Jesus Christ has opened the prayer line for us. Okay, think about that. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have access to God. That's a wonderful thing. We can commune with God anywhere at any time. And may we be making the most of this privilege. We can commune with God. That's astonishing. And may we as a church, may we as individuals be committed to prayer. Because prayer expresses God dependence 
And we are completely dependent on God. And it's through prayer that his will is done on earth. Okay, may we be committed to prayer. No more excuses. Make it a priority. And who knows what God may accomplish. But we also need to ensure that all hindrances are eradicated. Our prayer lives will not be effective if these hindrances and others are present. And perhaps that explains why your prayer life is so frustrating and often so powerless. We need the grace of God to help clear the prayer pipeline. And I wonder if some of these hindrances that we've considered today are present in your life. There's some sin that you treasure and you refuse to deal with it. You're not spending time in the word. You're not treating your spouse well. Or there's some conflict that hasn't been sorted out. These things, with God's help, need to be dealt with because they're hindering your prayer life. And it's also hindering the effectiveness of our church's prayer life. It impacts everybody. And hence, I implore you, for your sake and for the sake of the church, deal with these hindrances. So the power of prayer is no longer prevented in any way in your life or in our church. If our church is to continue to exist, and if our church is to be healthy, if we're going to have any impact for the Lord, we need to be committed to prayer, both corporate and individual. And we need to have unhindered prayer lines between us and the Lord. And for this to happen, it needs individuals who are committed to prayer. And that's the challenge for each and every one of us. That's the challenge for you. It's the challenge for me. And may the Lord infuse it in our hearts. Infuse a commitment to prayer. May we all pray for 15 minutes a day more than what we usually would. That's very attainable. That's not all that difficult for us. May we all commit to pray through the prayer sheet every week. Again, that's not all that difficult. If able, commit to be at a corporate gathering on site or online and ensure all hindrances are removed. We need to be committed to prayer. We need unhindered prayer lines. For only then will our church be healthy. Only then will we make an impact for Christ. We need unhindered prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you and praise you for the wonderful gift uh, that is prayer. And uh, I know I've had to confess that I I need to pray more. And uh, please help me with that. And perhaps I'm not alone. You know, help us as a church uh, to to be more and more committed to prayer. And uh, help us uh, to be diligent in in removing uh, the the hindrances uh, in our lives. Please help us with this. We, We desperately need your help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.